Welcome to The Inner Game. I'm Gwen Garcelon, your host. Thanks for being here today. The Inner Game is about how we nurture and attend to our mind, body, spirit, health, and how that allows us to play a bigger game and make a bigger contribution in the area of purpose that calls to us. And these are conversations with people who are committed to making an evolutionary difference with their lives from a place of balance and love and service. Today, I get to welcome back Barb Chambliss. Barb was on The Inner Game in May of 2021, and you may want to listen to that on kdnk.org. Just search The Inner Game. She is a psychotherapist, mediator, and her book, Women Peacemakers, came out in 2020. Her purpose is to wake up the conscious peacemaker in as many people as possible. She has taught mediation to over 500 children and adults in rural Colorado schools and also facilitates restorative justice circles. I'm thrilled to have you back today, Barb. This is such a fraught time Mm -hmm. we are in with increasing war and violence in the world. And I just thought it would be a good chance to talk about peace Mm -hmm. and specifically how we can practice it. Great. So you did a dissertation in peace studies, and maybe let's start with your motivation for that deep dive into peace. And I can even say it wasn't peace studies, it was peace making. Mm. I really wanted to know how peace is made. And so I had to do all the literature search, but that was boring to me. Not boring, but not what I was after. I wanted to interview people actively doing peace. And go like, what? How'd you find it? What, you know? How do you fund it? How? What made you get here? Um, and where is it going? So I've had the joy of interviewing over sixty women all over the world, in in their peacemaking work, like literally sitting in their home or sitting in, outside their tent or things like that. And why? Why? What do you think it was in you at that point that wanted you to, you know, that where you want really wanted to figure out how to make peace? Well, I think at sort of a subliminal level, I w- I've always uh, been disturbed by war or violence. And then I grew up and I had all these Vietnam friends that were Vietnam vets. And they learned how to make war and came home and told me about it before boot, you know, between boot camp. And then they came home and they were a wreck, some of them. And I kept going like, well, wait, so there's a whole movement about how to make war? Why can't we make peace? And it kind of went underground. I, you know, I do peaceful things. I'm a restorative justice person and things like that. But I think when I got the opportunity to do a PhD, I don't think I thought about it. I think I opened my mouth and said, how about peacemaking? Mm. And you have to fill the hole of, in the literature. And there were plenty of information about men peacemakers. And I kept going like, who are their wives? Or how, is, how did their mother raise them? to be this, like, who was Nelson Mandela's mother? And who was Desmond Tutu's wife? (laughs) And then I got, it just kept unrolling. Something Mm. bigger than me Mm. has really sent me on this peacemaking search. Well, in your book, you um, talk about a powerful story that happened during the Bosnian conflict Mm -hmm. and one of the women peacemakers. I'd love for you to share a bit about that because it seems very instructive about the cycle of trauma that uh, happens with individuals and whole nations. Yeah, and I will I will say that um, 
peacemaking is um, well let me let me just jump right into the story so i I had to make a definition about peace, and I did it with my hands. I would put my hands together and say, "This is peace, and my hands apart or not because there's a, a a dominant and subordinate element to the whole thing, and also nobody can see this, but I can describe it the way these women make peace. Is, do you remember that thing as a kid where it was like, here's the church and here's the steeple? Oh, with your fingers intertwined. Yeah. That's the hand motion of what their kind of peace looks like. Hmm. The hands are intertwined as the helper, stupid phrase, is helping someone else meet a need so that they can empower themselves. It happens to both of them at the same time. That's the beauty. I mean, that's too bad we can't show it, but... I described it, that little, here's the church and here's the steeple thing. So are you saying that peace happens out of meeting needs? Of others. Um, and you'll see, I think what I'd like to do is read the recipe for how these women do it. And the first thing is, when you see something that doesn't feel quite right, doesn't feel fair, you go like, hmm, I think I might be interested in doing anything about it. But the next step is, go see if it's wanted. Okay. And then, and if it is, and then you don't, you don't, you don't pull anybody up. You don't push them up. You join with them and help opportunities become available to them so they do the growing. And so what you're doing is empowering them to empower themselves. Okay. And it's, it's important because so many other kinds of peacemaking are you, you go attack something and then you may go home or whatever it is, but they, what they need to be is empowered. Mm -hmm. And if you can empower them, you've done this kind of peacemaking. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so in Bosnia, I went out to my mailbox one day, and someone um, sent me, had mailed to me a flyer she got to raise money for a, a woman that in Los Angeles was doing work for the Bosnian refugee kids. We didn't get much information about that in our time. But and maybe tell people, like, when did that occur and, you know, just a thumbnail I think it was about 95, yeah. 1995, right around there. Mm -hmm. We got little bits of pet piece that there was a war going on there, but, for, but I found out later it was purposely squelched here, the information mm -hmm. about it. But there was this disease, an unease inside of me, and this flyer came that said, I need uh, money to run a camp for the Bosnian refugee kids that are coming out of this war. And I went like, wow. So I called this woman up, and um, I said, you know, I don't have a lot of money to give you, but if you're running a camp for these kids in Los Angeles, I'll cook or I'll clean toilets or I'll do anything because I, there's something inside of me that wants to help. She said, great. This is all about volunteerism. And by the way, it's not in Los Angeles. It's in Croatia. So I ended up farming my own kids out for three weeks. And by the way, another Carbondelian went, Nancy Kiner. And uh, we, what I got to see was kids that are, half the kids were from a rural area where the, the, all of their fathers and brothers had been killed. And they had to run away with their mothers. And the other were a bunch of teenagers from Sarajevo. And, and then they asked us to come home and see what had happened. By the time I got to know and love these kids and see what war had done to their country, I came home and I said, you know, you can't pretend this is an academic exercise anymore. You have to do something about this. So that's where my, my mission to wake up the conscious peacemaker in as many people as possible 
has come from. And what did you observe or in Bosnia that can tell us something about how peace has occurred there? Yeah, or? well, um, let me just say that the woman that ran the camp said to us, do not take any of these kids home with you. You're going to all want to take them home. She said, don't do it because these kids will be the upliftment of this country once the war has stopped. Even as traumatized as they were? The little kids were traumatized. Like I had a little kid in my in my group of 10 little boys that um, just zoned out one day. We were on a hike, and there was a Coke can in the grass. And he'd had this very traumatic thing with the Serbian soldiers, soldiers making him chase Coke cans, and then they'd shoot at him. That kid was dissociated for that rest of the day and the next day. The, the teenagers had been being, they were in Sarajevo, which were, was being shot at by the Serbs for four years. So they had time to see what happened that crushed things and how people were brave and how things were smushed and how things grew up again. And they have become really important in the raising up of that country, mm, okay. rebuilding. I will tell you quickly, they, we wanted me to see their library, which was like our library of Congress. The Serbs had bombed it, and then they put fire in it so that every book, every piece of history, every piece of art got ruined. And these kids were incensed, and they wanted us to see it, and they wanted us to talk about it. So yeah. that's what that happened. Important. <laughs> yeah. And there is also a great story um, from Israel, mm -hmm. and I wondered if you would share that. The woman peacemaker that I interviewed there? Ruhama. Ruhama Marton. Her name was given to me by two people that used to live in Glenwood that were Israeli. And um, so I made the interview. We, I took my younger son. He was nine years old at the time. And we flew to Israel and interviewed her. And the very first thing she wanted me to know was... Um, what it was like for her, she was born in, in the 1930s. Israel didn't become a state till 1948. So she was a little girl pre-statehood. Uh, and she said, I want to tell you what it was like to go to the Wailing Wall with my grandmother. And she described lots of very different um, Jews coming from Kurdistan or coming from Poland. And they all did things a little different, but they were very copacetic with each other. Um, and then not very, you know, another five minutes away, there was a whole bunch of different Palestinians. And all the kids played with each other. The parents didn't know the dual language. The kids made up their own languages. But it was the most peaceful scene you can imagine. It's like a giant playground and a giant neighborhood with very different people in it. Mm -hmm. And then she said, and then 1948 came. And I watched my neighbors loading every piece of stick of furniture on their donkey, including their grandmother. And the, the uh, Israeli soldiers were behind him saying, hurry up, get out of here. And so to her little self, that was mind-blowing. Then she went into the military, which is what was required of boys and girls at the time. And she thought it was an honor to fight under some of these famous um, military leaders. But when she saw them in action, it blew her away. They were not heroes. They would take the Egyptian soldiers, they would take their clothes off, they would shoot them right there. Mm. 
And it's like, she's going like, what? And it was so mind-blowing for her that she left the camp, the, her military camp, early, went on to become a, a psychiatrist because she wanted to know what made people tick, sort of like me going like, how do, what, how do you make citizens into soldiers? And she then started um, <coughs> clinics that would go out to the Gaza Strip or go out to different places that were not uh, in Israel, in, in the statehood of Israel. And they would administer um, medical care, but they would also look for any human rights violations that happened. And the first one they went on, they found, they went, and at this time the Palestinians didn't even bear arms. And they found a lot of right arms that were broken by the citizens that were there. And they described it. They said an Israeli soldier would hold a a shoulder, and then they'd hold the wrist, and then they'd bring a gun down on that arm and break the arm. And she's going like, that's not right. That's What's wrong with that? And it was so that they couldn't shoot. And um, so she has an organization that has now started out with seven doctors. It's now 1,500 people, Jews, uh, um, Palestinians, people who are volunteer from all sorts of places, and they make sure that every citizen has health care and has uh, human rights uh, investigations for anything that's not going well. Prisoners, refugees, um, people who are not Israeli citizens but are Jews, the, all those get left out of the health care system. Wow. But this volunteer group goes and takes care of a lot of this stuff. It's really a, a phenomenal. And then Ruhama reached the age of 80, and they interviewed her, and she'd seen so much of the human rights violations. She said, you know what? We can't do this alone. We need help from the outside. Right. Yeah, it feels like that's the the source of so much war is people either just not getting their needs met, not being able to keep their children alive, you know, being, you know, having their human rights abused. Mm -hmm. People, (laughs) that makes people really desperate and angry. And it depends on how close the violations have happened to their reaction. I mean, they react when they've been damaged that badly. If you, wanna, if you want to do conscious peacemaking, you have to get beyond that reaction point, which is very hard to do when your father's been killed. Yeah, when or, you have a trauma response. Or you've been raped. or uh, yeah. yeah, and that's that immediate trauma response that actually we're now learning as psychotherapists how to help people get through. But so it's, it's really unrealistic to think that you could be a good peacemaker right out of the gate of something awful like that happening. But generationally, that's why we need to um, believe that you can get through the trauma and actually become a peacemaker, mm-hmm. I would say. So it's, that's why I'm teaching high school kids what I've learned from these women. Beautiful. Because, and these are high school kids in America that haven't been attacked. So they have that clear path to be able to see it differently. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just um, stop for a moment and say this is Gwen Garcelon, and you're listening to The Inner Game on KDNK. Today I'm talking with Barb Chambliss about how we can create more peace in our lives and in the world. And in your book, you have a bit of a recipe for that. 
you've really distilled a lot of the, the lessons mm-hmm. um, from the conversations and work you've done with different people. And I wonder if you would read us that list of lessons learned. I will do that. Um, and you'll be surprised at how common these things are. And you go like, I could do that. Or I did that last week. But when you put them all together, I actually took the stories of all the women and hung them in one room. And I went around and I said, all these different women, what do they have in common? Mm-hmm. And what they have in common are these kind of ways of going about their work that I distilled into this recipe for how this, and I call it conscious peacemaking. How do you do conscious peacemaking? So I'll read them. Beautiful. And um, I want you to know there are 24 of them. They'll go by pretty quickly. Some of them will go like, whoa. (laughs) And the others will go like, oh, I can do that. I did that last week. (laughs) Okay. So here they are. Number one, be awake when the opportunity presents itself. Number two, develop your service in response to people's expressed sense of need. When listening for this, their need, be sure that you're listening to understand their needs rather than listening to validate your preconceived ideas of what they need. Mm. Number three, never lose sight of your goal and never get attached to how you get there. You will get bumped off the path no matter what. Number four, learn who the local peacemakers are and be respectful of their peacemaking traditions. Number five, Every day, revisit the wisdom of and your willingness to continue this work. Every day, literally. If you think of Mother Teresa, it's a good example. Number six, operate from unconditional caring, not from sentimentality. If you feel sorry for them, it's not the right path. Making a difference, this is number seven, making a difference in the world might be your primary form of compensation rather than financial compensation. If you need money to do your work, be creative about how you source it. Eight is work under the radar of the oppressors when called for. Number nine, work with and not for. Work alongside those who request your services. Number 10, acknowledge, validate, and nurture the strengths of those with whom you work. Everybody's got strengths, and often we keep thinking we need to make them strong, but you start with what they're already strong at. Number um, 11, work simultaneously at both the individual and the systems level. Number 12, pace yourself. Make a little peace, make a little dinner. Know that your work might not be completed in your lifetime. Number 13, be aware peacemaking may be, but doesn't have to be, dangerous. Provide for your safety. Number 14, be willing to hang out on the margins of society without taking it personally. Number 15, practice patience and persistence. Employ them, employ them both simultaneously. Number 16, Most of your learning will be on-the-job training or osmosis from other peacemakers. Observe what your mentors do and don't do and why. 17. First go small and deep with your work, and then think about the wisdom of going bigger. Many peacemakers stay small and deep. 18. 
Sometimes anger works as a good motivator, but in an, uh, but it, it can be an unwise and dangerous plan of action. 19. Rising up out of a depression can launch amazing acts of peacemaking. And likewise, doing an act of peacemaking can, but doesn't always, dispel depression. Provide for your mental healthiness. Number 20, do not use violence of any kind, including to yourself. 21, when making choices, choose what keeps you in integrity with your goals and your conscience. Number 22, pray. Number 23, the amount of outside pressure you may feel from those that disapprove of your work may be great. Meet it with a greater amount of inner resolve, integrity, and grit. And finally, number 24, when you're overwhelmed by what you can't do, refocus on what you can do and then proceed with the next right thing. Mm. You know, it's so funny. Most Many of these um, remind me of, you know, a lot of what's being taught in sort of sacred activism yeah. circles, mm-hmm. you know, that we absolutely must take care of ourselves in doing this work that is so existentially needed mm-hmm. in our world. It seems very dire and urgent. And there can be the tendency to not take care of our own mental health and other well-being. Absolutely. And that's really important because it has to be coming from a deep-ish well yeah. of well-being, mm-hmm. you know, to really be making a contribution in the world. And if you think about the church and the steeple, as the other person <clears throat> becomes empowered, they rise up. But guess who's right with them? Yeah. So you don't stay in bed when you're one of these kind of peacemakers. <laughs> right. It's like... You, you want to get that feeling of being valuable, being worthy, mm-hmm. being empowering to others. Yeah. And being in integrity, you know, doing our own work, making sure that our self-talk isn't violent. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to be a peacemaker when you're not even peaceful with yourself. Or if you do yourself in. Yeah. They see it. They don't want that kind of mentor. They want a mentor that, that takes care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what do you find is a growth edge? What are you working on in yourself these days that um, that is keeping you making peace in the world? Oh, good way to put it. Uh, this may be a stretch, but what I realized is that this kind of peacemaking cl- appears to be people making peace with people. But I want to do something that makes peace with Mother Earth Mm. because I've been part of the damage. Um, And so uh, as I grow older, I'm thinking of doing a a, a ADU on my property, a tiny house for me to live in so that my big house, which is too big for me anyway and could invite other people in, can be let out to other people. But I don't want to be part of the construction damage that's so massive. Mm. So I'm looking at doing it with hemp blocks uh, because hemp is like sequesters carbon. It's, you don't need all the layers and all the plastics and things like that because it insulates, it's fireproof, it's rodent-proof, it's everything. So it's mm. good for me, and it's good for Mother Earth, and I'd like to make a demonstration out of how that's it can beautiful. become a house. 
Yeah, I imagine the just the vibration of living in an earth house yeah. is something that really adds to your peacemakerhood. <laughs> does. And I mean, I've been in a yurt, which can get really cold or really hot, depending. On, but these, these insulate and breathe mm. hemp blocks. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Me too. I can wrap my arms around somebody and still breathe. And it's like, yeah, I want, I want to treat Mother Earth to that gift if I can. It's so important, I'm finding these days, the alignment that we have with what we care about. Like that can be such a contribution in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, and I imagine, especially as a peacemaker, to, to have that kind of awareness. And I think this is probably where meditation helps. Having the mindfulness to watch ourselves and notice when we are getting depleted or when we're getting angry mm-hmm. or, or abusive in any way, shape, or form, and being able to notice that and make a change. Well, or also noticing when we're not paying attention. Yeah. So the doorway to peace starts by making you see, I've got a choice. If you go through curiosity and if you go through um, complimenting what's already working and doing better, you're on the path to peace. Yeah. And if you, if you let yourself slip into, or even worse, purposely, you do humiliation and judgment, you're on the path to violence. It yeah. will lead to something just like the Israeli war. Mm. But the other one will lead you to peacemaking. It's, it's what these women did at some point in their life, and they just never got off that path. It sounds so easy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's a lifelong journey. Well, the right. the middle road is to not think, right? And then then Just you're really out of out of sync. Out. Yeah, yeah. Checked out or do what the winds are blowing at you. Yeah. Well, where can people get in touch with you, Barb, if they want to? Um, this? You can go to the website for the book, which is three words all run together: Barb Chambliss author. But the weird thing is, Barb has an e at the end of it, a silent e. Okay. I didn't like that Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> so so I put an E on the end of my name, barbchamblessauthor.com. Okay. And Barb with an E. B-A-R-B-E-C-H-A-M, bliss, B-L-I-S-S, author. Author. Dot com. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening today. And thank you so much, Barb, for mm-hmm. sharing with us. You can find past shows at kdnk.org, including Barb's first show. Um, Just search The Inner Game or find us on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is called Awake by Peter Mayer. Mm. And you can get in touch with me by emailing Gwen at GwenGarcelon.com. And until next time, in your relationships, in your community, be a peacemaker. Thank you so much, Gwen. Gwen.